Thanks for checking out the Tennessee Holler Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Subscribe to and support the Holler at www.tnholler.com to help us fearlessly yell the truth about Tennessee. And be sure to subscribe to the growing family of Holler Podcasts while you're there. You can also follow the Holler on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the TN Holler. Tennessee. 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 All right, hi everybody. Welcome back to another Tennessee Holler live interview. I'm very excited to be joined today by Sarah Kenzie or someone that I've been a fan of for some time. And she's been kind enough to join us here with all this excitement going on. Hope you guys are hanging in there. We're tnholler.com at the tnholler on Twitter and Facebook. We're also in all these places throughout Tennessee, all these hollers. Sarah, how are you doing right now? How are you feeling about what's going on on our TVs and in our country? Um, on a personal level, very sleep deprived, but um, I'm relieved that Biden does seem like he's going to get the electoral college. He may even get it substantially. That does not mean it's the end of the election. Um, I haven't been thinking of this as election day. This is election season. We all knew what Trump was going to do if Biden won uh, the popular vote in the electoral college, which is refuse to concede, uh, deny the legitimacy of the vote, use violence, use threats, use force. Do all the same things he's been doing for four years and so part of me is um is really relieved uh and glad that that biden is going in with this leverage um but i'm you know i have no illusions about what we're facing which is an aspiring autocrat and they don't go away easily so you have been calling him an aspiring autocrat since the beginning you've been calling this things like a crime cult a transnational crime syndicate, I think is the word that you used. Uh, at what point did you start to believe that about Donald Trump? You you called this really early. I've been following you for a long time. You called this what it was from the beginning. Uh, at what point did you come to that conclusion? Um, well, the first article I wrote about it was in February of 2016, uh, when he had launched his <clears throat> campaign, excuse me, uh, you know, as a white supremacist demagogue, um, and also, of course, as somebody with, you know, a quote unquote businessman with a long track record of corruption, bankruptcy, um, you know, all these financial issues. So when I imagined how he would rule, I thought this is a guy who is going to rule like a Central Asian kleptocrat. Um, and just some background, I have a PhD in anthropology, and I spent my career studying countries like Uzbekistan, Russia, Azerbaijan, countries where the president of uses his power to enhance his personal wealth and doesn't care at all uh, about the well-being of the public and doesn't use that office to serve the public good. So I thought this is this is what he's going to be. Once he hired Paul Manafort, whose name I knew because he is deeply entrenched with the Russian mafia, with the Kremlin, I began looking further into Trump's own background and realized this wasn't a metaphorical connection. Like he's a hardened criminal. He's a career criminal who had been whitewashed by the American media and the entertainment industry, um, especially with The Apprentice. And so that was very frightening. Um, and the more of this I kept looking into, especially when that summer in 2016, 
Trump asked Russia for Hillary Clinton's emails, the more alarmed I was because I saw this as not just, um, you know, an exploitation of all of the failures and flaws of America, uh, but as a kind of, you know, as a foreign incursion, as I always say, as a transnational crime syndicate um, masquerading as a government. That is what he wanted to build for his own benefit and for the benefit of his corrupt backers. And then he has used all the tactics that an autocrat does. As soon as he got in, he began packing courts, purging agencies, um, you know, hiring people uh, to be his personal lackeys, hiring people to dismantle the, de the, the departments that they're supposed to lead. It's just textbook stuff. Um, but people didn't want to see it. Well, you definitely saw it and you helped me see it. And it was very clear when you you knew what you were looking at, what was going on, especially through all the Russia stuff, which I think too many people sort of still shrug off as, you know, conspiracy theories. And because Mueller didn't, you know, necessarily point at anything specific, although he did, if you read the Mueller report, mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of there, there, there still is. Now he's in a situation where he's, he's losing, he's going to be a one-term president and he has a lot of loans coming due. He's got a lot of crimes to be worried about. What do you think he's going to do right now? We're in a moment where it looks like he's about to, you know, refuse to concede. He's going to sue every which way he can. What do you see happening in the next two weeks here? Oh, God, the next two weeks. Um, you know, I'm worried about the next two months. This time period is the time period I've been most worried about uh, since he, quote unquote, won uh, in November of 2016. Is this time between the election and the inauguration. I think they're going to do everything possible first to throw out the vote through the courts, starting with, um, you know, local and state courts. Ultimately, he wants to move it to the Supreme Court. He hasn't hid that at all. Um, that was the reason that they installed Kavanaugh to begin with. And then um, Amy Coney Barrett was just a bonus. And they absolutely plan to use that court uh, to dismiss the people's will, the people's vote, and install him in. At the same time, I think he is going to be encouraging um kind of organically formed violent Trump supporters uh, to act on violence, you know, the way he did with uh, saying that Michigan needed to be liberated. And then now you have the governor of Michigan as a kidnapping target. But I also think he's going to put into play um, the kind of paramilitary operations that Eric Prince, uh, you know, who is a close colleague of the Trump administration and a brother of Betsy DeVos, uh, the secretary of education, that they've been uh, developing and kind of honing um, for the last four years. And we saw a preview of these tactics in June uh, when they were trying to suppress the Black Lives Matter protests. And we also saw them kind of do a test run with the military to see if the military would fire on its own citizens or would it obey the Constitution institution and serve the public. And, you know, a lot of folks in the military, I think, are going to have to make very difficult decisions. I hope it doesn't come to this. I hope that it doesn't reach this level of violence and chaos. But, you know, as you said, Trump has a lot on the line. He has, you know, debts. He is in hock um, to the Russian mafia. He's been working as a professional criminal for 30 years. Um, our institutions failed at doing anything about that. They let him get into this position of power. So in addition to examining Trump, I think we need to have a long, hard look at the FBI, especially the New York branch, um, our intelligence agencies, previous administrations, including the Obama administration, everybody who let this obvious national security disaster 
come to fruition, um, you know, should be looked at. And then there's all these people in Trump's orbit who are the same way. Like Jared Kushner used his position to pay down his debt. He owed a massive amount of money. Ivanka Trump, um, you know, you have Stephen Miller committing uh, crimes against humanity with his concentration camps. Like there are so many criminals who want reprieve. And the only way that they can get it is if Trump stays in power and rewrites the laws so that they're no longer breaking it, using people like Bill Barr to go ahead and do this. Uh, you know, accountability is coming. I do worry that the Biden administration, and I love saying that, um, won't pursue accountability. But that's why we, you know, citizens need to really pressure them to do so. Because if we don't, this will just keep happening again and again. And you'll see the same people again and again, just like you saw Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, all of these uh, dirty operatives in so many horrific uh, national events. You know, Watergate, Iran-Contra, the 9-11 aftermath, the 2008 financial collapse. Like, you see the same people over and over. It's because nobody ever indicts them. And now it's time. Right. And that seems to be a common theme through all of the crises that we go through. For instance, the economic collapse, nobody went to jail when the banks took advantage of us. Same thing is true for the crises that you're talking about. It is a tough situation, though, because there's always this sort of instinct or desire to kind of spare us the discomfort of reckoning with the crimes of the people that are leaving office. And because I mean, the same thing happened with Bush, the Bush war, the, the Iraq war, and Obama didn't really turn around and do anything about that. It's not an easy decision. But what you seem to be saying is if you don't uncover the things that happened and prosecute and punish the people that perpetuated them, it's just going to happen again. Is that is would that be your recommendation to Biden? Yes, absolutely. And it's it's very serious because you know the Bush administration committed war crimes, but they committed them in the name of America, and that does not make them acceptable or right. But what we have with the Trump administration is something different, where they are working for other countries, they are a national security risk. You know, they, if Trump has loyalty to anything other than himself and his money, it's to Russia, and you see the same sort of relationships with Jared Kushner and Israel and Saudi Arabia. You know, these are people who will sell state secrets. These are people who don't have any baseline loyalty to country. They collaborated with the Kremlin. They collaborated with other governments to weaken America, to make us sick. I think that they need, you know, first of all, trials and hearings about the coronavirus and how that was handled and the refusal to give uh, people and doctors the medical aid that they needed to get through this, especially in the early months the pandemic. That was Jared Kushner, you know, managing that. So, I mean, there's just such a multitude of crimes. They're not these arcane things like what he got impeached on. I mean, that was obviously a very impeachable offense. You try to shake down another country uh, for quote unquote dirt, you know, on your uh, alleged political rival, that that is an impeachable offense. But he has done things that are much more dangerous, much more worse and have much more long lasting repercussions um, than that particular act. And, you know, the refusal to go after those crimes and impeachment, I think, was a giant mistake. I think it cost some seats in the House. Um, but that's not the point. I mean, the point is to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do and to show that nobody is above the law and to root out this corruption that has just 
just become so deeply entrenched in our institutions. Like Americans deserve so much better than that. And I think that so many of us have never even seen this in our lifetime. We've never seen a government that's not deeply corrupt. Um, it doesn't matter if it's Democrat or, or Republican government, because this has to do with the institutions that just remain within it, like the DOD or the FBI or you know whatever you're looking at. We can't even imagine. And so people lower their expectations, but we obviously deserve much better than this. And we deserve justice. And the people who were hurt the most, they deserve justice. And I'm thinking in particular of the migrant families on the border who've lost their children or lost their parents forever. I mean, you can't just let things like that go. Do you think, uh, you know, flashing forward to a few months from now when all this is behind us, President Biden, Vice President Harris are in there. I'm just going to say that because it feels good to say it. Uh, is Has this president... I don't even want to call him that. Has Donald Trump uh, done us a bit of a service in the end by showing us all the different ways we're vulnerable? Like this is like, you know, you pour something in and you, you spin it. Like when you have a tire that you're not sure where the holes are and you put something in the tire and you see where it comes out. Like this guy has tried every possible thing to ruin this country. I'm sort of feeling more faith in our system today than I ever have because we seem to have resisted this. But in the end, maybe did he show us all the ways we need to shore up what's going on around here? I mean, he did. He didn't do so uh, for the good. No, no, not 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 that he did that as a favor to us. I'm just but saying. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the thing is, is he flaunts his crimes. He needs everybody to know what he's getting away with, and he needs to everybody to know that this person's not doing their job and catching him, and this person is enabling him, and this person is his accomplice. And you know, he wants everybody to know this. So now we know who all of those people are, and we know everything that's possible to do in government um, that's corrupt and evil and wrong. Although I think even more things are going to come out uh, in the months to come about horrific actions that they've taken. Yeah. It is very good that we know this because one deeply frustrating thing for me in the beginning of this nightmare uh, in 2016, early 2017, is I kept telling people what he was going to do. And they kept saying, well, that's impossible, or we're a nation of laws or checks and balances. And I'm like, no, this is how it works in a kleptocracy. And that is what you have here. You don't have a representative democracy really anymore. Or it's the process of transitioning. I think now no one is going to dismiss um, those concerns. And we also have identified a large number um, of bad actors. And so, yeah, you know, that that part is good. That's what I wrote a lot about um, in Hiding in Plain Sight is how there is this history of the United States of the last 40 years that, you know, was playing out in front of my own eyes as I grew up. Um, and I, I didn't fully even understand what I was looking at, what I was seeing. And this doesn't just have to do with Trump. It has to do with things like the Jeffrey Epstein case, you know, all these really horrific things um, that elite criminals were doing. And this whole history of elite criminal impunity uh, abetted often by the media and by celebrities um, and by this kind of infotainment culture. Uh, it's it's nasty. And, you know, we finally have kind of stripped the, you know, the whitewash off of this and are looking at it. And I just hope people continue to look at it. I hope they don't say, oh, thank God that's over. <laughs> just assume that everything's going to work out because we need to have this attitude of determination and resolution in, in part simply because of climate change, because we're about to be looking at a whole nother level of catastrophe and at the exact same kind of people like Trump, disaster cap 
capitalists, people who come in, they see a tragedy, you know, they see a calamity and they think, well, how can I profit off of this? I don't care who dies. I just want to make money. That is going to be what we're fighting against in the years to come, you know, whether Trump administration people are around or not. It's a mentality and a level of impunity that we absolutely have to get rid of for our own self-protection. And what you're saying there is not partisan. No. You know, this is corruption. This is, you know, the idea that everything revolves around money, that money comes first. And, you know, we're out of balance in that way. I think things are healthiest when they're in balance. Right now, we're very out of balance in that way. And that is not just, you know, it's it's a lot more so on the Republican side, in my opinion, but it's not only on the Republican mm -hmm. side. And, you know, even today, we're now already seeing a narrative being put forth that, you know, the reason that it was closer than it should have been was the fault of progressives. Have you seen that narrative coming out today? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I think that that's going to continue. That'll be a dialogue that's had within the Democratic Party. But what do you think? Do you have an opinion about what the Democratic Party should be doing moving forward and, you know, prioritizing to keep this from happening again? Yeah, I mean, I think that narrative is nonsense. Like, and if you look at who won in the House, it was progressives. They kept their seats easily, including in, you know, red, purple areas like Katie Porter um, in Orange County. And I think what people respond to, what citizens respond to, is a representative that has their back, that tells the truth, that engages with them regularly, and that doesn't seem to be in it for money or fame or any of that. Like, you know, people can sense that about a person. And the representatives who lost, I think, you know, were, just hedging their bets. They were they were not thinking about serving the public. They were thinking about how do I stay elected? And that's also how Nancy Pelosi thinks about things. She doesn't care about serving the public or being honest or doing what's best for the country. It's just about fundraising, making money, making sure she holds on to power and her lackeys hold on to power. But that's why you know, or lackeys like Donna Shalala, um, that's one of the reasons that they lost. And I think a lot of these positions that people think of as, you know, so progressive or like really, really liberal are just common sense positions, like raising the minimum wage, which hasn't been raised uh, to cover cost of living for a very, very, very long time, or a Green New Deal to have environmental protections and new jobs. Like these are not wild, crazy ideas. And I, most Americans uh, support these ideas. I think sometimes the messaging isn't the greatest, but that's not the same thing as the policies. And I think that plenty of people, including, you know, people who are Republicans and certainly people who are independents uh, would support these ideas, um, you know, if, if they were framed in a different way, in a more honest way than the way they're framed on like Fox News or something like that. Right. Well, if anybody has any questions, I see some of the comments commenting along. I see Wanda and Angel going at it, which is always healthy. Uh, you know, I, I think that's true. I think that's a it's a healthy conversation. But, you know, personally, I, I would like to see us lean into a lot of this. Like progressive is mainstream. A lot of the progressive mm -hmm. policies, if you poll them in a fair way, they are popular. Green New Deal, popular. Medicare for all, popular. You know, subsidized daycare for low-income families. These are popular positions and, you know, people, I think it's really more about leaning into it rather than away from it. And I, I just hope we don't learn the wrong lessons and that, you know, and then, and then I think the the main thing, which I think I saw you tweet about earlier is there is really no question that Biden just had his bacon saved by people of color and black people throughout mm -hmm. the country. And to, 
the right thing to do here is now to say, okay, we need them to have a stronger voice in the direction of the party and listen to what they're saying and listen to young people who did turn out because that's really the future of where we're going here. The democratic party hasn't won white people since 1964. Mm -hmm. So like maybe we should listen and try to hear what they're trying to say. So I don't even know if you consider yourself a Democrat, but I figured I would at least ask that because I saw you posting about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not registered in any party, but I, I figured vote, as much. I vote Democratic, obviously. But. When you're voting against an apocalyptic death goal on the Republican ticket, I'm going to vote for the Democrats. Um, but yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And you know what we see in all of our politics are basically the death throes um, of white supremacy, or you know, hopefully, what are the death throes? And obviously, that's the appeal of Trump for a lot of people is that he's an overt white supremacist who demonizes. Uh, ethnic and racial minorities. But I think there's also reluctance um, among the Democrats to actually cede power to people of color, you know, to put those people in charge, you know, when they have earned those positions. There is a tendency for the younger um, representatives of color, you know, they get like labeled like they're, you know, memes or they just exist to have talking points. I'm thinking of people like AOC or, or Rashida Tlaib, like these are people who do their research, who are great at hearings, who are doing an excellent, you know, job, you know, just as representatives um, and are often kind of tokenized or pushed to the margins. Like it's very insulting. And I think, you know, somebody like Barbara Lee is someone who I would prefer to be the Speaker of the House over Pelosi because that's, you know, Barbara Lee is a speaker with a long record of integrity, with standing up to power, with taking unpopular positions, um, you know, like opposing the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, even when nobody else would do it. Like that is what we need. And we need to keep racial justice at the center uh, of this party's platform and not try to disconnect it from economic justice, which is an incredible mistake. I, you know, I see people making that all the time. It's impossible in a country that was based on slave labor and whose all of our economics developed out of that uh, to separate race and the economy and to, to overlook or deny our history of white supremacy, which still structures uh, all of our policies. So that should also be a mainstream position. That should be something that white people should be more comfortable acknowledging and talking about and, and giving their own power away to try to actually level that playing field, not through, you know, wearing kente cloth and doing performative things like the <laughs> Democrats did over the summer, but through actually appointing people into these jobs. Well, I think that's all spot on. And, you know, I appreciate you telling it like you see it as you have from the beginning. You know, I think we're probably not through this yet. I think <laughs> it's going to be bumpy you know, and he's still got a couple of months to do a lot of damage, especially if he knows he's on his way out. Like this could be the worst two months of the entire presidency if we're not careful. And especially if these Republicans continue to be complicit in what he's doing. So again, thank you so much. It's, it's hiding in plain sight. Hiding in plain sight is one book. The other book is uh, the view from flyover country. Everybody should follow Sarah Kenzie or at Sarah Kenzie on Twitter. As before we go here though, I just want to end on a happy note and show you a video. Uh, this is, you know, Trump has been dancing to YMCA, and this is Philly today. They are now dancing to YMCA. <laughs> and this really made me happy. 
that's nice. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Isn't that just warm the cockles of your heart oh, right there? Yeah, that is that is good to see. So <laughs> it's bizarre good. that Trump does this, but I like it being thrown back in his face. Yeah, nobody has told him that it's like about picking up gay dudes at the I y. think he knows what it's about. I just uh I don't know if his supporters necessarily do. Yeah, that's yet another bizarre thing. These are like the questions my kids ask me, like, why is he orange? Or I'm just sort of I'm just sort of stuck on those. I can explain the fascism, but the uh, village people and the orange and the rest is a little beyond me. But anyway, thank you. Thank you for having me. Anyway, Sarah, thank thank you for coming on and uh, keep keep doing your thing. All right. All right, you too. Thank you very much. Bye.